You're listening to This Naked Mind with Annie Grace. Hi, this is Annie Grace, and welcome to This Naked Mind podcast. I'm here with Casey. Hi, Casey. How are you? Hi, Annie. Good. Good. Thanks for having me. Great. Great to see you. So why don't you take us back to the beginning in your relationship with alcohol? Where did it all start for you? Uh, For me, like a lot of people, pretty early on, around 14, I'd say, and it wasn't really present in my house. My mum doesn't drink, never has. Uh, Dad was a social drinker, but they they broke up around uh, around when I was fourteen, and Dad left, and and I guess I was doing the rebellious thing and uh, exploring, and it started with it. It actually started with cigarettes first, and then alcohol, and, and just you know, exploring and and finding you know, what I could do. Um, but the only alcohol in the house was mum's um, cooking sherry. So that's what I drank. <laughs> and uh, I replaced it with um, with green cordial because I, I don't know why I thought that might work. But she never used it. It sat in the bottom of a cupboard. And that progressed, you know, just experimenting with friends, whatever we could get our hands on, which for a while there seemed to be port and, and things like that. And it it sort of developed from there, but it never, it was never big in my life until probably my late twenties, really. I broke up with a long-term girlfriend. I was living with, with a friend of mine who I'd known since I was a kid. And um, we were just, I guess, two single guys living together with not much to do. So we would drink, we would drink for something to do. And that I think was the start of kind of almost glorifying getting drunk. Like, you know, those I was, you know, talking about how wasted we got the night before and and laughing at it and all that sort of stuff. That went on for, you know, quite a lot of years, typical weekend binging, that sort of stuff. But it was around then I started to look at my own kind of diet and fitness and and things like that. I had a a snowboarding injury where I I dislocated my shoulder and that sort of that rehab set set me on this path to start looking at at exercise and that's probably the beginning those sort of early 30s of trying to live a more healthy life but also drinking a lot so it was this dual kind of existence that I wasn't that cognizant of but it it was there and then I met my re-met my my wife uh to be we knew we sort of knew each other before, but we reconnected, and uh, I moved to Melbourne, and we we met probably in an alcohol fueled state, um, and alcohol played a big part of our early relationship. I do remember at a point really early on where we'd been, you know, together a, a few weeks, but always out, always drinking, and we met for dinner before going out drinking one night completely sober and I I remember sitting there for a moment with panic of I don't have anything to talk about and then quickly went and got lots of drinks and you know so um at the time I didn't really question that I was just like you know we, we need to drink to communicate and that's just how it is but I think as as time went on and we've been together over a decade now we had a lot, a lot of alcohol-fueled times and a lot of holidays and a lot of ski trips and a lot of where we would drink too much and cut back and have little breaks and those sorts of things. Um, but I didn't really do a, a, a considered break until 
I did dry July in 2012, I think. That was my first month off drinking after many, many years. And I felt amazing. But it crept back in slowly at first. It just crept back in until it was just drink as much as you can, black out. I was always one to not really just have a few. It was either drink at all or, or fall asleep or black out or whatever comes first. Usually it was the pattern for me. And we ended up living in sort of a, a city fringe suburb of Melbourne. And it, when we first moved into our apartment there, all the bars in the area had closed over the years. And it was just starting to go through this resurge of new bars opening up. Um, so one opened up across the road from us and then a few months later, one down the road. And slowly but surely, we became friends with all the bar owners and we were just frequent these bars that were just on our doorstep all the time. And then as we came into 2020, we both work for the government. So, so we get a nice perk where after 10 years of service, you get three months long service leave. And mm. so we'd been planning this massive trip to Europe to go snowboarding, to do all this stuff from pretty much January 2022 to March. And we know what happened in March 22, oh, sorry, March 2020. And so as we were coming into that that trip, I think it was the October before, we were out at the bar and, and my wife was on the dance floor and she slipped and snapped her ACL. And so there goes snowboarding for that trip. So we rejigged the holiday and um, we went, we still went up north to Norway and we saw the Northern Lights and we, we went walking around Portugal we went to um to Vienna and then by um March 2020 we met a bunch of friends in um in Japan and we got a bit of snowboarding in. She did a little bit with a knee brace. And she's one of the rare lucky people where her ACL reattached itself without surgery. But that that three-month holiday, we drank pretty I would say every day of it easily. Then we came home to lockdown. So we landed in back home in Australia the week before hotel lockdown started. And, and you know, as people know, Melbourne was the longest lockdown on the planet. So we basically spent three months on holiday drinking, came into, you were mandated to stay home and order junk food and alcohol to your house. And, and we just worked from home for a year, basically from a one bedroom apartment full time. And it was just a, it just became almost normal to have nightly bottles of wine and just feel ordinary but you're literally just rolling out of bed onto your computer you could just you know phone it in didn't really need to do much so it was not not good put a lot of weight felt horrible but didn't need to front up to anyone so you know I think a lot of people went both ways during the pandemic they, they either went down the fitness route I'm going to get fit and healthy because I'm stuck here or they went down the I'm going to indulge because I don't have to be in front of people physically. So we we went down that that ladder out. But towards the end of 2020, we we bought this house that we have in Ocean Grove down at the beach, and um and we moved and you know we got space and lockdowns kept happening, but now we were able to get out, be a bit more active. Um, so I spent a lot of 2021 just trying to cut way back on drinking, get fit again, and I and I pretty much took a, a big chunk of time off alcohol, just trying to build some sort of new routine. You know, um, I used to commute in the city on my bike, couldn't do that anymore. So I was just trying to set up these sort of like get up, go for a ride or go for a run or a walk. Slowly built out a home gym, 
these kinds of things. Towards the end of that year, I think I let drinking back into my life and it it sort of quickly re-escalated to a point that I wasn't really happy with. And and it got into a it had gotten to a point where I remember standing in the bottle shop with two bottles of wine, thinking, will this be enough tonight? Just for me. And getting anxiety of whether I'll have enough booze for one night with two bottles of wine. It's like this can't be a normal feeling for people. People have a, a glass of wine or something, but I need bottles of wine to, to feel like I have enough. And then that compulsion of just to drink it all at first sip was was just getting to me. So I've been starting to, over these years, follow a lot of sobriety content, sober curious content online. And my YouTube feed, my Instagram feed started filling up with this, this sort of stuff. And I got kind of almost addicted to reading people's success stories. I'd go and seek them out. You know, I think I was searching for someone like me that you know, had these issues and, and did something. And I, I don't know, it was sort of this search, but I'd often be sitting there just drinking, reading mm. success stories of people who'd quit drinking. And it was kind of a strange place to be. Eventually, I'd, I'd heard about Alan Carr's book, Easy Way to Control Alcohol. And uh, I had my dad over from the UK last November. And I remember I hadn't bought that book yet, but I knew about it. And I said to my dad, thinking of um, not drinking during this trip, I had him here for four weeks. I'm thinking of giving it up. And he goes, yeah, we were talking about what his drinking habits are. He was turning 79 during that trip. And he said they him and his partner tend to share a bottle of wine over a weekend, maybe two. And I was saying to him, yeah, you know, a typical night for me would be one or two to myself, maybe more. And I said, something is stopping. And he said, well, but just stopping wine, you'd still drink beer, right? And I was like, no, <laughs> I'd, I'd stop all of it, Dad. Anyway, I, I was pretty good for a lot of the trip, but you know, I was still, <laughs> we, we did a road trip and we stopped at this hotel or this motel and um, my dad and my brother, we walked in and there were two bottles of red wine on the table. Any normal person would think you have to pay for those. They're not free. But of course, my brain said, oh, there's three bottles of wine. So I just cracked them open. I think my brother and dad had one each and I drank the rest that night. And so the trip was, you know, sort of like that. He left, December rolled around. And I thought I had this weird fear that if I read Alan Carr's book, it might work. <laughs> so I was avoiding reading it. But I think a particularly hungover day, I, I just started reading it. And I just remember distinctly about halfway through that, we were driving to a barbecue with a pair of friends that we often would drink a lot with. And I said to my wife, I just don't have any urge to drink. It felt really obscure to me. So we went to the barbecue and I was able to drive us home and I finished out that book, but I'd felt something change at that probably 50% through that book and, and through sort of December, January, New Year's, you know, that came and went. I, we had friends here for New Year's and, and we went out to dinners. We, we did New Year's around a fire um, and I drank alcohol-free beers or soda water or whatever was available. I just had zero urge to drink. The first urge that cropped up and what led me to your 
book and, and ultimately to the alcohol experiment was our 10-year wedding anniversary end of January we'd booked this fancy restaurant on a farm it's got accommodation it's really designed for couples to go there and, and everything's geared towards couples and um we'd booked it months and months before and I remember sort of during January saying to my wife I'm really excited about going to a, an expensive you know, degustation meal um, and actually remembering it, not doing matching wines. And I was talking about going, being excited to go on holidays sober and all this sort of stuff. But something slowly crept in. A few days before, I thought, how many 10-year wedding anniversaries do you get, really? <laughs> Ideally one. And so I started to think maybe I'll just do the matching wines. Um, and something I realised later is, and I think I've heard you or others say, the decision to drink starts long before you're even aware that mm. you're going to drink. And so by the time we got there, it was, I'll have the matching wines, which in reality was we'll drink a bottle of wine in the room, we'll go to dinner and drink matching wines, and then we'll drink some more wine in the room afterwards. So it was still more than I wanted to. The restaurant even offered non-alcoholic matching. It even offered a mix of some alcohol, some not. So, you know, they cater for this stuff uh, quite readily now. Uh, so anyway, I, that led me in this sort of spiral of panic. I was like, I want that feeling back where I had no urge to drink. And I, I think I picked up this naked mind at that point and I read your book and I reread Alan's book. And I remember I was sitting in the car park of the train station just reading over and over these these passages just trying to I was like I still feel this this urge it doesn't feel the same and uh it was at that point where I think it's actually quite important to me um if if I'm really worried about this so that ebbed and flowed to you know feeling good to urges and cavings uh and then I felt a really big cognitive cognitive dissonance at that point. Like I just was really knowing that this wasn't what I wanted to do, but I couldn't stop it. And I was swinging back and forth. And then I came across your other book, The, the Alcohol Experiment. And that's what sort of changed things. Um, having this structure and I kind of built a practice around it of get up in the morning, read a chapter, journal or do an act technique go online, comment, watch the videos. I was kind of sad when it ended because I just really liked that morning ritual that I made. So I still have my journal here. I still journal every morning. Um, and it's usually thoughts about where am I at or what, what are my feelings at the moment around alcohol, sometimes more mundane things. So that, it just worked amazingly well. And I was just so surprised by the sheer amount of resources that you'd put out there. Um, because uh, I bought that not really like I was really stuck on that cognitive dissonance thing and that's sort of what attracted to me to that book and when I saw a mention in there of this online community space and saw all that content you know for the price of this little ebook there, there was so much there that I could use and it was just it was just a transformative sort of experience and so that led me to 150 something plus days sober and then and then I had a recent blip which I thought at first when your team reached out, I was like, well, you know, I had a recent blip. Can I even speak with any kind of credibility about this stuff? But I looked at it differently this time. So what it was was we had um, 
for a long time since we bought this house, we've been trying to get this load-bearing wall torn down between our kitchen and lounge room. And the building industry in Australia is a nightmare at the moment. It, people string you along, everything's overpriced, it's really hard to get anything done. So we've been trying to get this done for, for nearly two years and we finally made it happen. We got a company in, they tore this wall out, the place was a giant mess, it, it took you know, disrupted our lives for all of a few days. But after it was done, the the builders that were here and my wife all cracked some coronas. And for some reason, I just, yeah, you know, I could have one. And very quickly, that just went straight back into old entrenched behaviours. There I was, bottle shop, bottles of wine, thinking, will this be enough? But I caught it within sort of that one weekend and went like, why, why do this? Um, and started to look at it from more of a curiosity sort of lens. Like, why did that trigger me? Did it make anything more fun? Didn't. We just sat around on the couch and drank and ate crappy food. And I, I think, I think it was a buildup of some stuff going on at work, a mind state that was just wanting old familiar comfort or something and it was like something that I've noticed throughout this whole journey was what people tend to worry about is what will my friends be like will they still want to hang out all these sort of things and as all my friends throughout this journey that I have been on holidays with or have seen or have hung out with have all you know praised me for doing this sort of stuff and talked about their own issues around alcohol and things like that and i realized it wasn't actually a fear of what your friends think it's more what you think about yourself and i wasn't accepting this new self so much or i wanted to test that which was far more qualified people that know what i'm going on about but i think i've taken that as a learning experience that and as confirmation that alcohol adds nothing to my life it makes everything harder, absolutely everything harder. And it's just not something that I'm interested in doing anymore. I feel like it moves you from it's a new thing that you're trying to sort of come to terms with to it's just your lifestyle. Um, and then you're not really battling anything anymore, which I think is a, a nice place to be. But I, I think the other takeaway I had throughout that 150 odd days was everything that I thought would be difficult that I would make up in my mind that people would say and I'd be prepared for it was always easier than it seemed like beforehand you know I'd go to parties and think how am I going to do this and people would find out and people I didn't even know would say you're so strong for doing this these sorts of things and it's um people tend to admire it more now than hassle you to try and drink I haven't had a single person in this entire time say, come on, just have a drink. It's always mm. whenever that's happened, that only person has been me and that's the, the only one I've had to battle. So I think if if anyone's out there wanting to sort of step into this, one, there's so much content online now and you can find things that resonate with you. It's not, you know these traditional things there's there's something that'll work for just about everybody i think and there's you know some some of those sort of alcohol influences or alcohol free influences and things some of them i've, I've watched their content and gone that doesn't work for me and others i'll follow you know quite closely so it's a lot out there and then the resources that you've produced 
there's stuff there that I can just go back and refer to if I feel like it. I'll kind of pop open that the app or go on the site and and just look at people what they're saying. Community there, there is a lot of discourse about how horrible the internet is, but there's nice places on there as well. It's communities that are useful and are doing things that isn't doom scrolling or whatever else. So so yeah, that's that's a lot, but um, it was I think. One of my favorite times that I can think back to recently is just that that 30 day period was just so cathartic. Just what I needed. Well, that's just so cool. That's great. Thanks so much, Casey. I love that. I love that you came on anyway, because I think it's one of the like cultural, it's one of the cultural, I think, myths that is so toxic to this conversation is this idea that we have to be perfect or we have to be 100% or it doesn't count. And it's legacy AA, it's legacy traditional recovery, um, it's legacy changing our, you know, I mean, it's it's way back to like this, this philosophy that was created so far ago, like just this idea that behavior dictates everything, that what you do physically, you know, dictates everything. And that's the most important thing. And And I just have a totally different philosophy. I have what you feel is more important. And your behavior is actually relatively irrelevant because to have what we call a data point, which is just like a, you know, a drink when you didn't intend to, or you didn't want to, and to be able to lean into it and experience the learning and experience the compassion and experience the curiosity is far more productive in your life than to not have had that, right? Because it's in those moments, like, you know, like if you think of the gym, right, we go into a gym to literally break down our muscles so that they become stronger. And so if everything is just perfect, there's a quote that says like, I don't wanna be perfect because perfect means there's no room to expand. There's no room to grow. And and I think it's just such a toxic belief in our society that the goal is perfection and the goal is 100% success. Because if, if that's the goal, well, first of all, I don't know any other area of anything where that's the goal, right? Like really don't. I mean, even if you think of like, I mean, this sounds terrible, but even if you think of like what they consider really successful with surgeries, they, they build in a margin of error to heart surgery and to brain surgery. (laughs) So like, and, and it's because it's not because we want that to exist. It's because we're accepting the reality that perfection is an illusion. And when we create shame, because of imperfection, we're just going backwards. It's it's so incredibly counterproductive. So I really appreciate you sharing all of that. And you know, just when we when we have curiosity, we can learn so much. We can gather so much from that instance and that experience. Yeah, it it you know, looking at the two times since I've you know really been taking it seriously, where I have had drinks or drinks that led to more drinks. Um, the first time after our wedding anniversary, it was it was a spiral filled with feelings of panic, shame, guilt, all that stuff. And I mean, in a way, parts are good because it, it led me to your material and more. And you know, I I've kept that journey going, but it felt horrible. Whereas this time around, it was more of an affirmation that I'm happier not drinking than drinking, mm. um, especially sitting around at home and I'd said to friends 
during recent ski trips and, and those sorts of things, which I felt would be really hard, but they were actually quite easy. I said, I haven't quit drinking. I will drink again when I feel like it. I just haven't felt like it. Not that any of them pressured me or anything, but I, I didn't feel ready to say I don't drink. Whereas I kind of feel like I can say that now, even though I, I drank recently. I, it's just made some sort of identity shift. And, uh, you know, and speaking of ski trips or snow trips, we, um, we for before the pandemic, we created this thing we call the Parisha pub crawl, which was at Parisha, the biggest snow resort you have in this country. And, and it was literally ski from pub to pub around the four resorts and drink at every single one. Just insane thing to do on a mountain, and I kind of like was in two minds about that thing because I I like performance and going fast and being a bit tipsy. It's not great for that. If you're trying to balance on a snowboard, we did it this year, but I did it sober. So I I was with our group, and and it was the worst season in about thirty years. So a lot of stuff was closed, but we went to a bunch of pubs, and for me, it was more seeing who offered alcohol-free alternatives and who didn't. I found that interesting. Where do I have to get soda water and lime? Where can I get an AFB year and these sorts of things? And I enjoyed it way more than the times we've done it drinking. Way more. I just had more fun. I didn't feel like I was compromising safety in any way. And everyone else did what they wanted to do. And you know, it just wasn't a big deal. But I built it up in my mind for a while that it would be really hard. But it wasn't. And that's something else I've learned throughout this is tend to build things up a lot in our minds. Um, and then in reality, well, that wasn't so bad. And alcohol is a way of doing that when you're hungover, of making everything seem this massive problem. Work weeks were absolutely horrendous rolling into a Monday, just the level of anxiety and stress that isn't there now. Monday rocks around and it's not a problem. You can just handle stuff. It does something for your self-confidence when you are confident in yourself that you can handle things. You're not going to, you know, just be trying to get through the day because you feel horrific. So it gives, it just gives and gives so much more than that little feeling of relaxation or whatever you, you think you get from that initial drink, which, you know, you quickly ruin with many more drinks. So it's kind of why I, I just don't I just don't see the point in it anymore and I'm finally at peace with that is what I feel oh that's just cool that's so cool I yeah. I feel like it's such an interesting perspective to have done something one time like the perspective to have done something one time one way drinking and then to go back and do that same thing again not drinking and I remember I had that experience with camping because I had used to, obviously, when I was young, camp with my family, and I wasn't drinking. I was a kid. But then all of my adult camping experiences were drinking. I mean, even to the point where we would go backpacking, where you were carrying everything on your back, including like your food and the stove and the tent and everything else. And we'd still, we'd still bring alcohol, <laughs> even like 28 miles in three days, and we're still bringing alcohol. And yeah. so to the first time I went camping without that, and it was just like, so, like, so fun and so enjoyable. And, you know, you're out there. And that, that was probably the first time that I realized this really interesting truth that being drunk feels the same. 
So it feels the yeah. same to be drunk in front of a campfire as it does to be drunk on the couch, as it does to be drunk at a football game. Like it just feels the same. And so it was like every single unique and varied experience in my life, I was just being drunk. And then when I started to not be drunk, <laughs> I was like, oh, this is new. This is different. This feels good. This feels, and it was like, we so crave variety as human beings. Like we want variety of experience and touch, taste, smell, sight, all those things. Like we want to activate our senses. And not only does alcohol deactivate our senses, but it makes everything feel the same. And so we're just robbing ourselves of like the joy of life. And it was like, oh my gosh, it's such a poignant moment for me. It is, it, it does make everything feel new again. Um, which is just really exciting. We we went up to Northern Australia to Cairns to see a, a friend um, just for a long weekend, and and he was my friend that I lived with in my in my sort of late twenties, early thirties. We used to drink just so much. It was really all we did together. I've known him though since I was two years old. You know, he's my oldest friend, basically like a brother almost. And my wife and I went up to see him and. I didn't drink and they did and it wasn't a problem at all we went around to all these places and everyone's got either alcohol free offerings or or soda water everyone has soda water and um they I remember we we arrived the Friday night they started drinking I got up at 6am the next day and did the local park run and now he's messaging me he's doing park runs Saturday mornings so you know, they were hung over most of the trip and I was just enjoying it. And I I do struggle. The two things that I still struggle with, one is trying to get across to friends how good they could feel and, and being a bit of that zealot kind of person. So I'm, I'm starting to reel back and just sort of just lead by example, I guess. And the other one is I've heard you mention a few times just ghosting a party, just leaving when when you want no one will notice i'll still hang on you know throughout the party well beyond the the time i want to be there and people become annoying and drunk and repetitive and and i just don't know how to exit well usually because my wife's there and she's drinking i think part of it's like i I just don't want to leave her even though it's amongst friends i just feel strange about it so i'm going to talk to her about that and say you know if we're amongst close friends and I just leave, <laughs> you're staying there. But, you know, and she is drinking less since I've stopped drinking. I think we, we bounce off each other, but, and she hasn't sort of fully, fully quit though. But I'm, I've come to terms with that too. It's just, you know, everyone's on their own path. Everyone will, will get to where they need to be at some point. And I think, I feel like I've inspired a few friends. We're all, you know, our friendship circles all sort of, you know, early 40s, some with kids and some without. And I think a lot of us are starting to realise that alcohol doesn't serve us in any way or any way that like it used to when we were younger. And I'm always impressed by younger people that have already realised that. You know, I met someone at a party. She was in her 20s, I think, and she, um, she'd given up alcohol, you know, by her early 20s and was completely fine with that. She'd been she, she said she doesn't even take alcohol-free alternatives anymore to sort of blend in because she doesn't really care what other people think. And I found that pretty inspiring. I said, you know, it took me to 42 to get to this point and she's, you know, got so much in front of her without just completely drowning it in alcohol. Yeah, yeah, it's great to see. I do think that if I would have 
you know, like it is so much better on this side that, I mean, you, you don't want to stay in regret because regret is painful, but it is very inspiring to hear about somebody who, you know, didn't just didn't waste as much time. There's so much on the other side in terms of getting to know yourself and getting to know what you really like and don't like and making your life something you don't want to escape from. And then it becomes really amazing because you've created this life that you really want to live. And yeah, the sooner we can start that, the better, you know, it's just very cool. Yeah. Yeah. And there are other little positives that are starting to just crop up. We, uh, it's a bit odd for Australians, but I play ice hockey most of my life. And um, we had our awards presentation last night for last season uh, and I wasn't able to attend, but the coach just messaged us and I apparently won most valuable player for that season. And, and my coach had said to me, she was like, I don't know what you've done, but this season is completely different to the last three or four years. And it's because I wasn't hung over most games, you know, I could actually show up and play hockey. So little things like that, that, that just come from that cumulative effect of you're not hungover, so you exercise, you eat better, you are more present, mind is clear, it, it just flows into so many other aspects of life. I've been offered a, a sideways sort of not promotion, but a sideways gig at work, which I'm excited about and normally it would be this like scary thing, but it's, I feel like, you know, I can just take it on because I'm not going to have to worry about am I going to be able to perform at work because I've, you know, just spent the whole weekend drinking. And I think that's the self-confidence thing where you, or self-assurance or whatever the term is, that you just know that you'll be able to show up because you're not going to ruin it with <laughs> a weekend of, of pointless drinking. Yeah, and it's that becomes such a snowball because you show up a few times and then you start to believe that you'll show up more times. And like, it just really does like what you said exactly. The cumulative effect cannot be understated of how... Yeah. I'm you. Yeah. It's just amazing. That's so awesome. Well, Casey, let me ask you the question that I ask at the end of these, which is if you were going to go back in time to talk to your former self about what life is like now, what would you say? It's a a hard question. I mean, I know kind of what I'd say, but would I listen? Would that former self listen is my, my question. I mean, I, I would say that what I've discovered is that you do not need alcohol to have fun. You don't need alcohol to socialize, um, to relieve anxiety. It makes everything harder in your life. It doesn't improve anything. I know my former self drank often because everyone else was, even when I didn't feel like it, uh, to fit in at parties, to talk to people. You don't need to do that. You just don't need to do that. It's No one actually cares what you're doing. <laughs> Um, so don't worry about other people you've just got to um, be happy within yourself that's awesome well thank you so much for coming on and sharing your story it was really great to get to know you and I just I just really appreciate it well thank you for having me and thank you for all that all that content that you've put out and you continue to put out it is just a wealth of material that when people find it, I think it's, it really helps them. So it's just making a, a big impact. Well, thank you. Thanks, Annie. Thank you so much for listening to this episode. If you're ready to see how This Naked Mind can help you on your personal health and wellness journey and want to learn more, go to thisnakedmindpodcast.com to learn what your next best step is. 
Again, that's thisnakedmindpodcast.com. We have all of our free resources, programs, social links, and more available for you there. Plus, if you have your own naked life story to share, you can submit it there as well. Until next week, stay curious. Stay curious.